Section 14 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century, by Jules Verne. First Part, Chapter 3, Part 2. Captain Cook's First Voyage. Two. Reconnoitering the eastern coast of Australia, remarks on the natives and the productions of the country, the endeavour stranded, perpetual dangers of navigation, crossing Torres Straits, the natives of New Guinea, return to England. On the 31st of March, Cook left Cape Farewell and New Zealand, steering westward, on the 19th of April, he perceived land which extended from northeast to west in 37 degrees 58 minutes south latitude and 210 degrees 39 minutes west longitude. In his opinion, judging by Tasman's chart, this was the country called Van Diemen's Land. In any case, he was unable to ascertain whether the portion of the coast before him belonged to Tasmania. He named all the points on his northern voyage. Hicks Point, Ramhead, Cape Howe, Dromedary Mount, Upright Point, Pigeon House, etc. This part of Australia is mountainous and covered with various kinds of trees. Smoke announced it to be inhabited, but the sparse population ran away as soon as the English prepared to land. The first natives were seen armed with long lances and a piece of wood shaped like a scimitar, this was the famous boomerang, so effective a weapon in the hands of the natives, so useless in that of the Europeans. The faces of the natives were covered with white powder, and their bodies were striped with lines of the same color, which, passing obliquely across the chest, resembled the shoulder belts of soldiers. On their thighs and legs they had circles of the same kind, which would have appeared like gaiters had not the natives been entirely naked. A little further on the English once more attempted to land, but two natives whom they had previously endeavoured to propitiate by throwing them nails, glassware, and other trifles, made such menacing demonstrations that they were obliged to fire over their heads. At first they seemed stunned by the detonation, but as they found that they were not wounded, they commenced hostilities by throwing stones and javelins. A volley of bullets struck the oldest in his legs. The unfortunate native rushed at once to one of the cabins, but returned with a shield to continue the fight, which was shortly ended, when he was convinced of his powerlessness. The English seized the opportunity to land, and reached the houses, where they found several spears. In the same bay they landed some casks for water, but communication with the natives was hopeless. They fled immediately on the advance of the English. During an excursion on land, Cook, Banks, and Solander found traces of various animals. The birds were plentiful and remarkably beautiful. The great number of plants discovered by the naturalists in this part induced Cook to give it the name of Botany Bay. This bay is, he says, large, safe, and convenient. It is situated in 34 degrees south latitude and 208 degrees 37 minutes west longitude. Wood and water were easily procurable there. The trees, according to Cook, were at least as large as the oaks of England, and I saw one which somewhat resembled them. 
it is that one which distills a red gum like dragon's blood no doubt this was a species of eucalyptus among the various kinds of fishes which abounded in these latitudes is the thorn-back skake one of which even after cleaning weighed three hundred and thirty-six pounds on the sixth of may cook left botany bay and continued to coast to the north at two or three miles distance from the shore the navigation along this coast was sufficiently monotonous the only incidents which imparted a slight animation were the sudden and unexpected differences in the depth of the sea caused by the line of breakers which it was necessary to avoid landing a little further on the navigators ascertained that the country was inferior to that surrounding botany bay the soil was dry and sandy the sides of the hills were sparsely covered with isolated trees and free from brushwood the sailors killed a bustard which was pronounced to be the best game eaten since leaving england hence this point was named bustard bay numbers of bivalves were found there especially small pearl oysters on the twenty fifth of may the endeavour being a mile from land was opposite a point which exactly crossed the tropic of capricorn the following day it was ascertained that the sea rose and fell seven feet the flow was westward and the ebb eastward just the reverse of the case in botany bay in this spot islands were numerous the channel narrow and very shallow on the twenty ninth cook landed with banks and solander in a large bay in search of a spot where he could have the keel and bottom of his vessel repaired but they were scarcely on terra firma when they found their progress impeded by a thick shrub prickly and studded with sharp seeds no doubt a species of spinifex which clung to the clothes pierced them and penetrated the flesh at the same time myriads of gnats and mosquitoes attacked them and covered them with painful bites a suitable spot for repairs was found but a watering-place was sought in vain gum-trees growing here and there were covered with enormous ants nests and soon deprived of gum by those insects numerous brilliantly coloured butterflies hovered over the explorers these were curious facts interesting from more than one point of view but they failed to satisfy the captain who was eager to replenish his water supply from the first the great defect of this country was apparent it consists in the absence of streams springs and rivers a second excursion made during the evening of the same day was equally barren of good results cook ascertained that the bay was very deep and decided on making the circuit of it in the morning he soon discovered that the width of the channel by which he entered increased rapidly and that it ultimately formed a vast lake communicating with the sea to the northwest another arm stretched eastwards and it was conceivable that the lake had a second outlet to the sea at the bottom of the bay cook named this part of australia new south wales sterile sandy dry it lacked all that was most necessary for the establishment of a colony and the english could not ascertain from their cursory inspection or hydrographical examination that mineralogically speaking it was one of the richest countries in the new world the navigation was monotonously continued from the thirty-first of may to the tenth of june on this latter date the endeavour after passing safely along an unknown coast in the midst of shallows and breakers for a space of twenty-two degrees or thirteen hundred miles 
was all at once exposed to a greater danger than any which had been apprehended they were in sixteen degrees south latitude and two hundred and fourteen degrees thirty-nine minutes west longitude when cook seeing two islets lying low and covered with trees gave orders to keep well out to sea during the night so as to look for the islands discovered by quiros in these latitudes an archipelago which some geographers had maintained was united to the mainland shortly after nine in the evening the soundings taken every quarter of an hour showed constantly decreasing depth all crowded to the deck the water became deeper it was concluded that the vessel had passed over the extremity of the sand-banks seen at sunset and all rejoiced at escape from danger when the depths increased cook and all but the officers of the watch retired to their berths but at eleven o'clock the sounding line after indicating twenty fathoms suddenly recorded seventeen and before it was possible to cast anchor the endeavour had touched and beaten by the waves struck upon a rock the situation was a serious one the endeavour raised by a wave over the ridge of a reef had fallen again into a hollow in the rock and by the moonlight portions of the false keel and the sheathing could be seen floating unfortunately the accident happened at high water it was useless therefore to count upon the assistance of the tide to release the ship without loss of time the guns barrels casks ballast and all that could lighten the vessel were thrown overboard the vessel still struck against the rock the sloop was put to sea the sails and topsails were lowered and tow-lines were thrown to the starboard and the captain was about to order the anchor to be cast on the same side when it was discovered that the water was deeper at the stern but although the capstan was vigorously worked it was impossible to move the vessel daybreak disclosed the position in all its horrors land was eight leagues distant not a single isle was visible between the ship and land where refuge might be found if as was to be feared the vessel broke up although she had been lightened of fifty tons weight the sea only gained a foot and a half fortunately the wind fell otherwise the endeavour must soon have been a wreck however the leak increased rapidly although the pumps worked incessantly a third was put into action the alternative was dreadful if the vessel were freed it must sink when no longer sustained by the rock while if it remained fixed it must be demolished by the waves which rent its planks asunder the boats were too small to carry all the crew to land at one time under such circumstances was there not danger that discipline would be thrown to the winds who could tell whether a fratricidal struggle might not ensue and even should some of the sailors reach land what fate could be in store for them upon an inhospitable shore where nets and firearms would scarcely procure them nourishment what would become of those who were obliged to remain on board every one shared these fears but so strong a sense of duty prevailed so much was the captain beloved by his crew that the terrors of the situation evoked no single cry nor disorder of any kind the strength of the men not employed at the pumps was wisely harboured for the moment when their fate should be decided measures were so skilfully taken that when the sea rose to its height all the officers and crew worked the capstan and as the vessel was disengaged from the rock it was ascertained that she drew no more water than when on the reef but the sailors were exhausted after twenty-four hours of such terrible anxiety it was necessary to change hands at the pumps every five minutes 
a new disaster was now added the man whose duty it was to measure the water in the hold announced that it had increased to eighteen inches in a few moments fortunately the mistake of the measure taken was immediately ascertained and the crew were so overjoyed that they fancied all danger over an officer named monkhouse conceived an excellent idea he applied a sort of cap to the stern which he filled in with wool rope yarn and the intestines of the animals slaughtered on board and so effected a stoppage of the leak from this time the men who spoke of driving the vessel on a coast to reconstruct another from its ruins which might take them to the east indies thought only of finding a suitable harbour for this purpose the desirable harbour was reached on the seventeenth of june at the mouth of a current which cook called endeavour river the necessary labours for the careening of the vessel were at once begun and carried on with the utmost rapidity the sick were landed and the staff visited the land several times in the hope of killing some game and of procuring fresh meat for the sufferers from scurvy tupia saw an animal which banks from his description imagined to have been a wolf but a few days later several others were seen who jumped upon their forefeet and took enormous leaps they were kangaroos marsupial animals only met with in australia and which had never before seen a european the natives on this spot appeared far less savage than on other parts of the coast they not only allowed the english to approach but treated them cordially and remained several days with them the narrative says they were usually of medium height but their limbs were remarkably small their skin was the color of soot or rather it might be described as of deep chocolate color their hair was black and not woolly and was cut short some wore it plaited some curled various portions of their bodies were painted red and one of them had white stripes on his lips and breast which he called kerbanda their features were far from disagreeable they had very bright eyes white and even teeth and their voices were sweet and musical some among them wore a nose ornament which cook had not met with in new zealand it was a bone as large as a finger passed through the cartilage a little later a quarrel arose the crew had taken possession of some tortoises which the natives claimed without having in the least assisted in capturing them when they found that their demand was not acceded to they retired in fury and set fire to the shrubs in the midst of which the english encampment was situated the latter lost all their combustible commodities in the conflagration and the fire leaping from hill to hill afforded a magnificent spectacle during the night meantime messrs banks solander and the others enjoyed many successful hunts they killed kangaroos opossums a species of polecat wolverines and various kinds of serpents some of which were venomous they also saw numbers of birds kites hawks cockatoos orioles paraquets pigeons and other unknown birds after leaving endeavour river cook had good opportunities of testing the difficulties of navigation in these latitudes rocks and shallows abounded it was necessary to cast anchor in the evening for it was impossible to proceed at night through this labyrinth of rocks without striking the sea as far as the eye could reach appeared to dash upon one line of rocks more violently than upon the others this appeared to be the last upon arriving there after five days struggle with the contrary wind cook discovered three islands stretching four or five leagues to the north but his difficulties were not over 
the vessel was once more surrounded by reefs and chains of low islets among which it was impossible to venture cook was inclined to think it would be more prudent to return and seek another passage but such a detour would have consumed too much time and have retarded his arrival in the east indies moreover there was an insurmountable obstacle to this course three months provisions were all that remained the situation appeared desperate and cook decided to steer as far as possible from the coast and to try and pass the exterior line of rocks he soon found a channel which shortly brought them to the open sea so happy a change in the situation says kippis was received with delight the english were full of it and openly expressed their joy for nearly three months they had been in perpetual danger when at night they rested at anchor the sound of an angry sea forced them to remember that they were surrounded by rocks and that should the cable break shipwreck was inevitable they had travelled over three hundred and sixty miles and were forced to keep a man incessantly throwing the line and sounding the rocks through which they navigated possibly no other vessel could furnish an example of such continued effort had they not just escaped so terrible a danger the english would have had cause for uneasiness in reflecting upon the length of way that remained to them across a sea but little known upon a vessel which let in nine inches of water in an hour with pumps out of repair and provisions almost consumed the navigators only escaped these terrible dangers to be exposed on the sixteenth of april to a peril of equal magnitude carried by the waves to a line of rocks above which the sea spray washed to a prodigious height making it impossible to cast anchor without a breath of wind they had but one resource to lower boats to tow the vessel off in spite of the sailors efforts the endeavour was still only one hundred paces from the reef when a light breeze so slight that under better circumstances no one would have noticed it arose and disengaged the vessel but ten minutes later it fell the current strongly returned and the endeavour was once more carried within two hundred feet of the breakers after many unsuccessful attempts a narrow opening was perceived the danger it offered was less imminent than that of remaining in so terrible a situation says the narrative a light breeze which fortunately sprang up the efforts of the boat and the tide conveyed the ship to the opening across which she passed with frightful rapidity the strength of the current prevented the endeavour from touching either shore of the channel which however was but a mile in width and extremely unequal in depth giving now thirty fathoms now only seven of foul bottom if we have lingered somewhat over the incidents of this voyage it is because it was accomplished in unknown seas in the midst of breakers and currents which sufficiently dangerous for a sailor when they are marked on a map became much more so when as was the case with cook since leaving the coast of new holland the voyages made in the face of unknown obstacles which all the instinct and keen vision of the sailor cannot always successfully surmount one last question remained to be solved were new holland and new guinea portions of one country were they divided by an arm of the sea or by a strait in spite of the dangers of such a course cook approached the shore and followed the coast of australia towards the north on the twenty first he doubled the most northerly cape of new holland to which he gave the name of cape york and entered a channel sprinkled with islands near the mainland which inspired him with hope of finding a passage to the indian ocean once more he landed and planting the english flag solemnly took possession in the name of king george 
of the entire eastern coast from the eleventh degree of latitude to this spot situated in one hundred and seven degrees south he gave the name of new south wales to this territory and to fitly conclude the ceremony he caused three salutes to be fired cook next penetrated torres strait which he called endeavour strait discovered and named the wallace islands situated in the middle of the southwest entrance to booby island and prince of wales island and steered for the southern coast of new guinea which he followed until the third of september without being able to land upon that day cook landed with about eleven well-armed men among them solander banks and his servants they were scarcely a quarter mile from their ship when three indians emerged from the wood uttering piercing cries and rushed at the english the one who came nearest says the narrative threw something which he carried at his side with his hand and it burned like gunpowder but we heard no report cook and his companions were obliged to fire upon the natives in order to regain their ship from whence they could examine them at their leisure they resembled the australians entirely and like them wore their hair short and were perfectly naked only their skin was less dark no doubt because they were less dirty meantime the natives struck their fire at intervals four or five at a time we could not imagine what this fire could be nor their object in throwing it they held in the hand a short stick perhaps a hollow cane which they flourished from side to side and at the same instant we saw the fire and smoke exactly as it flashes from a gun and it lasted no longer we observed this astonishing phenomenon from the vessel and the illusion was so great that those on board believed that the indians had firearms and we ourselves should have imagined they fired guns but that our ship was so close that in such a case we must have heard the explosion this fact remains unexplained in spite of the many commentaries it has occasioned and which bear out the testimony of the great navigator many of the english officers demanded immediate permission to land in search of cocoa-nuts and other fruits but the captain was unwilling to risk his sailors lives in so futile an attempt he was besides anxious to reach batavia to obtain repairs for his vessel he thought it useless moreover to remain a longer time in these latitudes they had been so often visited by the spanish and dutch that there were no further discoveries to make in passing arrow and weasel island he rectified their positions and reaching timor put in to port in Sabu island where the dutch had been settled for some time there cook revictualled and by accurate observation settled its position at ten degrees thirty-five minutes southern latitude and two hundred and thirty-seven degrees thirty minutes west longitude after a short interval the endeavour arrived at batavia where she was repaired but the stay in that unhealthy country was fatal after such severe fatigue endemic fevers raged there and banks solander and cook as well as the greater part of the crew fell ill many died amongst them monkhouse the surgeon tupia and little Taito. ten men only escaped the fever the endeavour set sail on the twenty seventh of december and on the fifteenth of january seventeen seventy one put into prince of wales island for victuals from that moment sickness increased amongst the crew twenty-three men died amongst them green the astronomer who was much regretted after a stay at the cape of good hope where he met with the welcome he so sorely needed cook re-embarked and touched at st helena 
and anchored in the downs on the eleventh of june seventeen seventy two after an absence of nearly four years thus says kippis ended cook's first voyage a voyage in which he had experienced such dangers discovered so many countries and so often evinced his superiority of character he was well worthy of the dangerous enterprise and of the courageous efforts to which he had been called End of section 14